You are listening to audio from Redeemer Church in Tomball, Texas. To find out more information about our church, visit us at makingmuchofjesus.org. I don't mean to sound like an old timer, but I just don't think cartoons today are as good as they used to be. Amen. And I totally believe that for a couple of reasons. One, they are rebooting a bunch of cartoons that I watched as a kid from my era. DuckTales is back. Woo, it's great. It's so much fun. Muppet Babies is back. It's great. So I know we got, all, we got elementary kids here for Family Worship Sunday. So I want you real quick, you don't have time for a long conversation, but tell you know, a pair, whoever's next to you, your favorite cartoon. All right, three, two, one, your favorite cartoon, go. And adults, you can play along too if you want. Favorite cartoon, got it. Okay. Now, I want you to think about your favorite cartoon and the main character of that cartoon. Who is it? Now, recently, I just showed my kids Tom and Jerry, and they love it. It's so great. They just laugh and smile the whole time. And that crazy cat and mouse make long road trips so much easier. And I was wondering just this past week, who's the main, who would be the main character of Tom and Jerry? Is it both of them? Who's the main character of Muppet Babies? It's got to be Kermit, or maybe it's not. And then, you know, I grew up, you know, watching I Love Lucy. I love I Love Lucy. And I started thinking, who's the main character of I Love Lucy? It's got to be Lucy. But the show is titled I Love Lucy. So maybe it's about Ricky's perspective of his wife. I got all like in a theological, uh, you know, spin cycle this past week. But who's the main character of Exodus? A lot of times our gut reaction is to say, oh, Moses, it's, it's Moses. Listen, the main character of Exodus is also supposed to be the main character of your life. It's not Moses, but it is God. And in today's passage, there is a shift in focus. It's not Moses anymore. It's not really even the Israelites. It's not Pharaoh at all. The main character and emphasis of Exodus and of the whole Bible and of the universe is God himself. And what we need to know about God is really is that we need to know the knowing God. We need to know God. So listen, beloved, listen. God wants to make himself known today. Right now, 10 o'clock service, right here, Redeemer Church, God wants to make himself known in this place, in this city, and the nations and the universe. And God wants to make himself known through your life, your story. Redeemer Church, we say we exist to make disciples and make much of Jesus to make him known, to make God known. And just like God is going to make himself known through the Exodus story, God wants to make himself known through your redemption story, your testimony. The paragraph right here, this last paragraph in chapter two, it zips through the life of Moses. And then Moses brings us into this insight that really shows us something about God. It's very subtle, but I don't want you to miss it. Look at verse 23. So after a long time, that's Moses has been in the wilderness. Moses has been out of Egypt. Now something's happened in Egypt. What is it? After a long time, the king of Egypt, the main character of Egypt, died. This is communicating two giant truths to us, very subtly. First, this Pharaoh that wanted to kill Moses, why Moses had to leave Egypt, is dead. So Moses can go back to Egypt now. No one's seeking his life. The second bigger truth that's being communicated here is huge. 
let me just think about how, if you've been with us these three weeks, we've gone through Exodus. How many pharaohs have we heard about already? This is the third one. In chapter one, we heard about the Pharaoh that knew Joseph and how Joseph saved Egypt from famine through those visions and dreams that he interpreted. Then that Pharaoh died. So we're on Pharaoh number two. And chapter one says this Pharaoh didn't know Moses. So he enslaved God's people, treated them harshly. This is the Pharaoh that ended up raising Moses in his household and wanted to kill Moses. This Pharaoh died. Pharaoh number two, gone. A new Pharaoh rises up. This is the one Moses confronts. We are two chapters into this book and we are already on our third Pharaoh. They're like paper towels, one after another. And remember, these Pharaohs, are, they're supposed to be gods, little G, powerful deities, rulers, controllers of the lands, almighty dead. But who remains? God. Three pharaohs gone, and yet the almighty God still remains. God is still there. His promises are still there. The true and living God isn't going anywhere. So listen, in your life, there are circumstances that feel so bleak. These people are in 400 years of enslavement in Egypt. But you need to know, like they're going to know, God has not gone anywhere. He's never abandoned you. He hasn't forgotten you. The Lord Jesus himself said when he ascended back to the right hand of the Father where he has been for eternity, he said, I am with you always, even till the end of the age. Three pharaohs, God remains. And God is about to step in in a mighty way. So notice how the subject changes in this last paragraph. 23, the Israelites groaned. Why? Because of their difficult labor. There was a change in office and leadership, but it still remained. The problems are still there because the difficult labor and they cried out and their cry for help because of the difficult labor ascended to God. And if you write in your Bible, like I do, I would start underlining every time you see the word God. Their cry ascended to God. Subject change now, verse 24. And God heard their groaning and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac and with Jacob. And God saw the Israelites and God knew God, 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 God. Moses saying, this is all about God now. This is not, amen. This is not about me. This is not even about my people and their suffering. This is about my mighty power. And look, and look so God is going to do something incredible for his people and the last two words show it. Last two words in verse 25. God saw the Israelites and God knew. It's kind of a bizarre phrase. God knew. Of course God knew. He knows everything. Nothing surprises him. Nothing, nothing catches him off guard. What does this mean? This, this word, God knew, this idea, it's freighted and stocked with the mega theme, one of the mega themes of Exodus. Of God knowing his people and God bringing his people to know him. This communicating these two things. God knows his people so that they may know him. God acting and God's actions being made known so people can know him and belong to him. So God sees, hears the cries of his people. He remembers his promises. And when he says, and God knew, this is what God knew, guys. God knew it's go time. I see my people suffering. I see them being treated harshly in Egypt and God knew it's time to throw down. It's time to beat Bobby Flay. It's time to go. 
It's time to set, step in. It's time to set my people free. It's time to defeat all these puny gods of Egypt. So when we get to the plagues in a few weeks, and we're going to take them three at a time, they are each a tailored assault on all of the puny false gods of Egypt. Why is he, why is he singing frogs everywhere? Because there's something we're going to see about the gods of Egypt. Why the Nile to blood? There's something about the gods and the darkness that the, all the Egyptians worship. And God is saying, I'm going to show you your puny gods, and I am the true and living God. That's why one of my favorite scenes in all of cinematic history is in the first Avengers, one of the greatest movies of all time. When Loki is the bad guy, he's yelling at the Hulk, you should worship me, you should bow down to me, I am a God. And Hulk grabs Loki by the ankles like a rag doll and just slams him on the ground over and over and over, throws him down, walks away and says, puny God. That's Exodus. <laughs> it is God grabbing, it is Yahweh, the true and living God, grabbing all of the puny gods of Egypt and Pharaoh himself. You think you're a god? You are a puny god. Little g, I am the true and living God, and I am going to make myself known. This is a theme we will see throughout the entire book. I just want to give you a taste of it now. God tells Moses, when he's about to commission him to go, he says, Moses, you tell my people this, that I will take you from the land. I will take you as my people and I will be your God. You will know that I am the Lord, your God, who brought you out from forced labor of the Egyptians. So he wants his people to know, know me. Now he wants all Egypt to know. So Israel, now all Egypt in Exodus 7, God says, the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord, Yahweh. I, when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring out the Israelites from among them. So all Israel, all Egypt, and God says, I, 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 it's bigger. God tells Moses to tell Pharaoh, the whole earth will know me. When Moses tells Pharaoh from God, from this time, for this time, I'm about to send all my plagues against you, your officials and your people, then you will know there is no one like me on the whole earth. By now, I could have stretched out my hand and struck you and your people with a plague and you would have been obliterated from the earth. However, I have let you live for this purpose, says God to Pharaoh, to show you my power and to make my name known in the whole earth. God wants to be known. Do you know the Lord? Do you know his power? A.W. Tozer was right in his book, Knowledge of the Holy, in the first line when he says, one of the most important things about us is what comes to our minds when we first think about God. So what comes to your mind when you think about God? Whatever it is, wrestle with that. Is it anger? Maybe you're angry at God today. And that must be dealt with. Maybe it's disappointment. Maybe it's love. You love God when you think of him. It's maybe joy, reverence, and worship. 
You think of salvation when you think of God. You think of his power and his grace and his forgiveness of sins and the cross and an empty tomb. Do you think of promises? Do you think of the eternal father and the eternal son and the eternal spirit of God? Friends, God wants to make himself known to you for you to know him. As the apostle Paul says, to know him and the power of his resurrection. That it was, as he says, with outstretched arms revealed in the Exodus, yes, but also outstretched arms revealed in the eternal Son of God on the cross. With arms nailed, pinned down, literally stretched out to deliver his people from the wicked enslavement of power to sin. As Jesus is paying for sins that he didn't commit, but that you and I did. He wants you to know the offer he makes to you on the cross. That if you believe in me with my outstretched arms and believe in my empty tomb, you will be delivered. And he has arms stretched out in heaven now inviting all sinners to come to him for salvation and they will be saved. God wants to make himself and his promises and his power and his mercy and grace known to you. And God wants you to know that he's not a distant God who's disinterested in you. That God knows our problems. You know, there are two two difficulties we have at times. If we have a high view of God, meaning we think of God as lofty, powerful, uh, almighty, sovereign, all these things, we can struggle to remember God is also close. He's loving. He's caring. And if we kind of think of God mostly as loving and caring and close, we can forget that God is high and lifted up. We're angels circling around him, holy, covering their faces because he's so holy. That Moses is going to talk to God in a burning bush next week and he covers his face because God is so holy. So we have to remember both of these. As Jesus tells us, the, God, we know when a bird falls to the ground. Whoa. And I know how many hairs are on your head. Huge, close God. And here we're saying God knows our problems. So if you see in verse 23, the Israelites are groaning because of difficult labor. They're crying out, crying for help, and it ascended to God. Now there's a big difference here. They're groaning, crying out, and then they cry for help, and then it ascends to God. Listen, there is a big difference between groaning complaining, murmuring, and crying out for help. We all have problems in our lives. Difficulties in the home, at work, sicknesses, worries, fears. And we must avoid thinking God doesn't care because he's cruel and he's, he's too busy, he's too big, he doesn't pay attention. That's just not true. Clearly he does. And the other error is that we must not think that the catharsis of just complaining and kicking the dirt and woe is me is the same as asking God, help me. As crying out for help. Have you cried out for help to God? Whatever you're facing. Or do you still think you can help yourself? Listen, one of the most damaging phrases in the Bible Belt in cultural Christianity is this. God only helps those who can help themselves. No, do not believe that. That is satanic teaching. 
Listen, God only helps those who cannot help themselves. From Adam and Eve with fig leaves hiding in the bushes, to a barren Abraham and Sarah, to enslaved Israelites, to a shepherd boy facing a special ops war hero in Goliath. And to you and me, God helps those who cannot help themselves and have given up on all other options. Have you unsubscribed from all other options? I love unsubscribing from emails. It gives me great joy. Have you unsubscribed from all other options of help and subscribed to the Lord? Listen, hear me. If you think, if you are still the main character of your life story, your life will be a tragedy. It won't even be a Shakespearean-level tragedy. It'll be a cosmic tragedy. But if the eternal Son of God with his cross and his empty tomb and that stack of folded grave clothes, if that becomes the plot twist in your life, your life will change forever. God's grace will become your story. God will be the, the hero in your story. Because God knows our ultimate problem and he knows the ultimate solution himself because the greatest problem in our lives is is very similar to the Israelites. We are enslaved to a wicked power of sin, your sin and my sin. And his grace sets us free. Jesus came to redeem us from sin, Satan and death and to give us an exodus, a resurrection, a freedom into new life. What the Israelites needed is exactly what we need. What did they need? They needed God to act on their behalf. And what you need today is God acting on your behalf. And if you will look to the sun, his cross, his tomb, you will see he did act on my behalf. And the way Moses writes about it is this, is that God remembers his promises to us. Look at verse 24. So he heard their groaning and what? Verse 24. And God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and Jacob. He remembered the promise he made to these guys. Listen, this this isn't like God's memory was jogged. Oh man, I made promises to these folks. This wasn't like his Facebook memories on this day. Oh, yeah, Abraham. I forgot about these guys. That's not what he's saying he remembered. Remembering in the Bible is welding two concepts together, of faithfulness and action, of I remember this and I am responding to this. This always happens in the scriptures. There's a remembrance and it leads to response. It leads to action. So when God says, I remember my covenant I made with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, he is saying, I'm about to act. And you think about, Abraham, why? Why remember the covenants he made to these guys? Because Abraham was so great. That's why God did it. No, he was a deceiver, a liar, who lied about his wife being his sister at least twice. And she could have gotten killed. Oh, it's because Jacob was such a great figure, such a great spiritual leader. No, his name means deceiver. He deceived his brother and stole a blessing from his brother. The patriarchs, the godfathers of the Old Testament, they are not good guys. They are bad, bad dudes. 
but God remembers his covenant because God is gracious, because God made a promise. And it's the same for you. Do you know why God acts on your behalf? It's not because you read your Bible a lot this past year. You know why God brings blessings into your life? It's not because you've tithed a certain amount. It's not because you've done anything. It's because God made promises. And God, as Titus says, never lies. Keeps his promises. I, I, I personally, just, just for me, I am so glad that the stability of my soul doesn't rely on my remembering of God, but his remembering of me. We are forgetful people. If we think that our spiritual lives depend on us remembering God, remember, we are people who misplace our keys to where other human beings had to invent these little devices to help us find our keys. We get distracted. You know, God's never been distracted ever. We get distracted. You ever open up your phone to respond to a text and then nine minutes later, you're buying stuff on Amazon? And yet we want to think that our spiritual lives depend on us remembering God. No. Our inner lives, our hearts, and our souls, we struggle to remember God's promises and Jesus' love and his faithfulness to us. But the glorious grace of God is that we depend on him. He doesn't depend on us. God remembers the covenant he makes, not the one we make. Listen, God remembers the covenant he makes, not the one we make to him. This is why I always say Christianity is not inviting Jesus into your life. It's Jesus saying, come to me. Come into my life. Come into my promises. I'm not interested in your promises, ones you'll make to me that we both know you're not going to keep. Even when he makes this deal with Abraham, he's back in Genesis, he says, hey, Abraham, why don't you just go ahead and go to sleep over here? I'm gonna make a promise. And God does it all on his own. This is our lives. When God sees the plight of his people, he remembers and he's going to respond. He remembers the promise that he made to Abraham. Well, what was that promise? Back in Genesis 15, it was a promise. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to give you land. I'm going to bless the whole world through you, Abraham. And remember this one part. It's in Genesis 15. And he says, your offspring will be resident aliens for 400 years in a land that doesn't belong to them. And they will be enslaved and oppressed. This is Exodus. However, I will judge the nation they serve. And afterward, they will go out with many possessions. 400 years has gone by since this promise. And now they are in Egypt. And God says, I remember and I'm responding. It's time to set them free. That's when the Bible says, and God knew. It's like metaphorically God cracking his knuckles. It's go time. And God is about to act on the promise he made. So listen, beloved. As long as God remembers the promises he makes, you are in good hands. He's the promise keeper. Not because they earned it, not because the Abraham and the Egyptians, because the Egyptians impressed God, are they good people? We will see, they are not good people. But because God is gracious and loving and patient and kind, it's no different than us. It's not because we're good people, not because we do good things and we're spiritual people, but because God is gracious. 
so much of our problems is that we want to live off promises we make to God. I'm going to read my whole Bible this year. I'm really, I'm really going to stop doing that, God. God, it, if I do that, will you do this for me? And then we fail. And we get frustrated. And we doubt God's love. Listen, live on God's promises to you. God's covenant to you, not your works, not your morality, but by faith alone, the promises he makes, like a covenant promise to deliver you from your sin, to give you new life by faith alone in Christ alone. I promise to forgive you of all of your sins because of Jesus's death and resurrection from the dead. I promise to be with you always, to lead you, to guide you. And I promise to give you an inheritance and the new heavens and the new earth to come. And listen, if you are in Christ, my brothers and sisters, God remembers you based on the new covenant, on the work of Christ. So when God thinks about you right now, what does he remember about you? When you're praying and, and Lord, I, I need help with this. I wonder if you could help me. Does God go, well, let's see how good Jeff was this week. Let's see if he earns it. Let's see if God deserves, let's, let's see if Jeff deserves my help. Looks over my life. I don't know. I don't know if you deserve my help. No. God remembers us, brothers and sisters in Christ, based on Christ himself. When Jesus sits with his disciples the night before he's betrayed and crucified, he has this last supper. He takes up a cup of wine. Do you remember what Jesus says? He says, for this is my blood of the covenant, the promise, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Then we, do, we drink and do this in remembrance of him. We are responding, saying, every time we take the Lord's Supper from this verse, what we are doing, we are saying, we are remembering what God remembers about us. When Jesus says, do this in remembrance of me, he's saying, remember what I remember about you that my blood is what has forgiven your sins, that my life, my body, my blood in your place is what has made you whole, not your performance, not your doing, but mine. We are redefined. We live in the promise of the blood of Christ, sinless, clean, forgiven of all of our sins. This is why the book of Hebrews says that he is the mediator of a new covenant, a new promise, so that those who are called into this new promise might receive the promise of the eternal inheritance. Because we are so good, because we impress God. No, because a death has taken place for redemption from the transgressions and sins committed under the first covenant of Christ acting on our behalf in our place on the cross of him saying, I am the main character of your story. Your life being redefined around mine. Him living what we couldn't. And him dying what you should. He redeems us. He saves us. And God remembers us in his son. Now may the God of peace, Hebrews says, who brought up from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant. We are defined by the blood of Christ. And now look at what this blood does. 
equip you with everything good to do his will, Christ covering us, working in us what is pleasing in his sight. How do we even grow as Christians? How do we even change? How do we walk with God? The blood of Christ, the life of Christ, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Friends, God helps those who can't help themselves with the blood of his son. Do you believe that Christ acted on your behalf? This is your story if you're in Christ. And don't get confused who the main character is. You, you can afford to be confused who's the main character of Muppet Babies. You can't afford to be confused who's the main character of your life. Jesus is telling us, I can be your main character. How do you want God to remember you? Do you want God to remember the new covenant of Christ's blood? Or do you want God to just remember you? If you want God to remember you, then judgment day will come and he will remember your sin. And he will remember your falling short of the glory of God. And he will remember judgment for you. But if you are found in Christ, believe in him, he will not remember your sins, the Bible says. He will cast them as far as the east is to the west, and he will remember them no more, but he will remember Christ in your place. The main character of Exodus isn't Moses. The main character of your life isn't you, but it's God, Father, Son, and Spirit. Let's make, let's make his name known and his mercy and grace. Let's pray together. Thank you for listening. To find out more information about our church, visit us at makingmuchofjesus.org.